Porn star Brandy Love, that's her stage name, by the way, that's not her legal name, was kicked out of the Turning Point USA conference in Florida this weekend. Now, believe it or not, this has actually caused a major divide among conservatives. Many conservatives think that this was the wrong decision by Turning Point. Many conservatives think it was the right decision. There's been a heated uh, Twitter battle amongst conservatives about this. Um, I'm here to tell you today, this should not be controversial whatsoever. And here's why. Pornography destroys men. Pornography destroys marriage. Pornography destroys families. Marriage and family are the bedrock of a free society because people depend on their marriage, their spouse, and their family rather than big daddy government. You actually can't have a society based on limited government unless you have a strong nuclear family. Pornography destroys that. So pornography is not conservative, and conservatives should reject porn. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, so this porn star controversy blew up into a bigger deal among conservatives, causing a lot of infighting on Twitter, as I mentioned before. And I, I want to get into the philosophy of this for a little uh, bit because it's pretty interesting. But first, I want to talk to you about Nutrafol. I want to call all the bald men who watch this show. You know who you are. We all know that about half of the people who watch my show are balding. And, but there's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs, without prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 21 potent natural ingredients support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress too. And I think the key word in there is sex drive. The reason a lot of people don't take these uh, hair, hair things is because it lowers your sex drive. Well, this one doesn't. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. That's why Nutrafol is trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show, win-win, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code LIZ to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LIZ. Okay, so here's my number one reason why I think Turning Point USA did absolutely the right thing. Parents sent their high school and college kids. Keyword here, kids. Many of these children were, are minors, as young as 15 years old to this conference. Parents trusted that the kids will be surrounded by conservative values, since it is a conservative conference, not surrounded by hardcore porn stars. Now, case in point here, I, I visited this woman's Twitter profile to see what the hullabaloo was about when I saw that this was trending on Twitter, and I accidentally got exposed to an X-rated, I'm talking full money shot, hardcore pornographic photo, which I wish that I could unsee, but I can't. This was also not a porn star who reformed her ways like Jenna Jameson did, no. And Brandy Love, the name of the porn star, her argument is that she doesn't want the government telling her what to do with her business or with her body, and that's why she's a conservative. But here, here's what I think about this. The license to do something, in this case, porn, doesn't make it a tenant of liberty to be celebrated. It's actually arguably a downside or the downside of liberty that sin is allowed without legal repercussion, right? So one of the defenders of this woman is actually a friend of mine, Ben Dominich. He's uh, the founder of The Federalist. Like I said, he's a friend and I love The Federalist, but I think he's wrong on his take here and here's why. First of all, this is what he said. He said, I'm disappointed that TPUSA kicked out Brandy Love for no reason whatsoever. 
She's a Florida conservative businesswoman who loves America. The right has an opportunity to be the big tent party. Don't be a bunch of prudes. Then he goes on to say, so the new standard TPUSA has set for itself is that it will evaluate the moral quality of everyone who buys a ticket to their conferences. There's no way that could go wrong, end quote. So a couple of things. This phrase, big tent, means inviting anybody to vote for us, meaning conservatives or Republicans, because our pre-existing values, our conservative values are the best for everybody. Big tent Republicanism or big tent conservatism does not mean embracing values that are counter to conservatism just to get votes for the party. Because if we aren't a party of principles, then what even are we? What's the point of having a party if this party isn't a movement that stands for these principles? So big tent does not mean sacrificing um, our principles in order to get somebody's votes. That's thing number one. Thing number two is this idea of evaluating the moral quality of every attendee at the conference. I think this is somewhat of a false argument, and here's why. No, we are, we're all sinners. So evaluating the moral quality of every person, you're going to get a failing grade. But you do evaluate the moral impact that someone's public ideology and public behavior, their public sin, has on minors, has on children. That's a big fat yes. You'd have zero problem probably with banning white supremacists or black nationalists, Westboro Baptist Church followers or the Groypers, Antifa, man-boy pedophiles, Satanists, anybody with extremely problematic, offensive, evil ideologies or destructive ideologies, you'd have zero problem banning from these conferences. That should apply here too. I actually can't believe that we're having this conversation at all. It shows how broken the moral culture of our country is. Of course, Turning Point did the right thing. Porn is a scourge on humanity. We don't have to embrace it. We should reject it. And we should invite Brandy Love to give up porn and be the woman that God created her to be instead. All right. I really need to talk about um, Jen Psaki and her censorship. This is unbelievably believable coming from the Biden White House. But first, I want to talk about your online security. I want to talk about ExpressVPN. Remember, your internet service provider can see every single website that you've ever visited. And what they do with that information, once you visit a website, your internet service provider legally can sell that information to ad companies who then target you with advertisements based on what you've looked at. It's incredibly invasive. It's even more Orwellian, I think, when... Um, when simultaneously we see in the public sector, meaning from government, we see Jen Psaki talking about government censoring information. Well, we don't want that from the private sector either. We don't want this big brother looking over your shoulder, telling you what to think, telling you what to feel. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN because I do not want this to happen. All you have to do with ExpressVPN is tap one button and you will be protected. Your data is encrypted and your internet connection is routed through other servers from ExpressVPN so that your internet service provider can't see what you're doing. So visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz, expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more. Protect yourself online. You deserve to be, have your privacy respected. Back to Jen Psaki for a second. So Jen Psaki had just a banner week behind the podium uh, at the White House this past week. She admitted what I think most conservatives intuitively knew because this is the character of the Biden administration. But she said the words out loud for everyone to hear. Saki admitted that the White House, the goal of the White House is censorship of information that the White House disagrees with or doesn't like. And this comes in a variety of forms. First of all, Saki admitted that the White House 
actively flags posts that they don't like for Facebook to remove. Take a listen to this. We are in regular touch uh, with these social media platforms, uh, and those uh, engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID-19 team. Uh, given, as Dr. Murthy uh, conveyed, uh, this is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken, or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. The White House notifies Facebook of posts that the White House wants Facebook to remove. That's collusion if I've ever heard it. Then Saki admitted that the White House flags this, what she calls disinformation. I'm not going to use that same word except in the context that she used it. But the White House flags what she terms to be disinformation for mainstream media outlets, too. This might be the most underreported part of the story. Take a listen to this. I would say, first, it shouldn't come as any surprise that we're in regular touch with social media platforms, just like we're in regular touch with all of you and your media outlets about uh, areas where we have concern, uh, information that might be useful, information that may or may not be interesting to your viewers. You all make decisions just like the social media platforms make decisions, even though they're a private sector company and different, but just as an example. So we are ma regularly making sure social media platforms are aware of the latest narratives dangerous to public health that we and many other Americans seeing are seeing across all of social and traditional media. And we work to engage with them to better understand the enforcement of social media platform policies. And we'll get, we'll get back to that in one second. Saki further admitted that the White House, she is speaking, remember, not on her personal behalf. She is speaking on behalf of the Biden administration. She says that you should be banned from all social media networks if you have been banned on one. She wants that entire collusion. She wants that entire silencing. Take a listen to this. Providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. And then, oh yes, we're not done. She continues to show you exactly how elaborate this apparatus, this collusion between government and big tech is. She actually admitted that they keep track of people who she considers to be disseminating misinformation. She says, listen to it for yourself. I think this was a question asked before. There's about 12 people who are producing 65% of anti-vaccine misinformation on social media platforms. All of them remain active on Facebook despite some even being banned on other platforms, including Facebook, ones that Facebook owns. So after this happened, and we're gonna analyze each of those things in a second because there's a lot to unpack that, um, that isn't even being picked up in the headlines, then Joe Biden himself escalated this to another level. Following Jen Psaki's press conferences, he was asked by a member of the press corps to comment on the White House colluding with Facebook to censor these posts and this um, allegation from the Biden White House that this disinformation is actively killing people. And this is what Biden said about Facebook specifically. Take a listen to this. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. Are we in the
you know you're a bad person and a bad politician if what was one of your number one partnerships, your primary partnerships, Facebook, is actually turning on you because you've been so disloyal to them. Biden accused Facebook of literally killing people because they're not censoring exactly the way that he thinks so. And this is how Facebook responded. They kicked it right back to him. They said, we will not be distracted by accusations which are not supported by the facts. The fact is more than 2 billion people have viewed authoritative information about COVID-19 and vaccines on Facebook, which is more than any other place on the internet. More than 3.3 million Americans have also used our vaccine finder tool to find out where and how to get a vaccine. The facts show that Facebook is helping save lives, period. Now, you can contest much of what they said um, about authoritative sources, but that's not the point of what we're talking about right now. Facebook then said to NBC News, and this is even snippier, they said, in private exchanges, the Surgeon General has praised our work, including our efforts to inform people about COVID-19. They knew what they were doing. The White House is looking for scapegoats for missing their vaccine goals. End quote. That is quite something, quite something. So Facebook is obviously mad because Biden was rude to them and he threw them under the bus because his press secretary is an idiot and is admitting to this collusion between big tech. And I, I, I want to talk more about the implications of this, the things that we should note that are maybe underreported from Jen Psaki's press conference. But first, Twitter, this is coming to fruition already. Jen Psaki first talked about blocking people, spreading disinformation. And that same day, Twitter blocked Alex Berenson for 12 hours. This happened this past weekend, and they did not give him a reason why. So I want to say to you today, if for some reason big tech kicks me off of their platforms once and for all, don't worry, I won't be silenced. So I want to make sure that I have the ability to stay in touch with you. That's why I'm asking you today to subscribe to our email list at lizwheelershow.com. Um, if you ever want to make sure that you never lose access to the Liz Wheeler Show and all the content I'm delivering, please join my email list. It's very important to me that we can stay in touch if that ever does happen, God forbid, because regardless, I am here to stay. So go to lizwheelershow.com and drop me your email address so that I can reach out to you if or when Big Tech pulls the plug. So three things that I think that we need to note about the Jen Psaki press conferences. Number one is Psaki mentions the audience reached by what she calls this so-called disinformation. She wants that to be made public. She wants Facebook and Twitter and all the big tech platforms to not only disclose the actual individuals that are being censored, she wants them to disclose the reach, essentially, who this has been distributed to. She wants to know if you heard something that she didn't want you to hear. How creepy is that? Can you imagine then if you were targeted specifically with certain information based on Jen Psaki and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris knowing something that you looked at on Facebook? That's what I heard when I, when I listened to this video when she mentioned, she just mentioned it in passing. It wasn't the most obviously egregious thing that she mentioned, so it didn't grab a lot of headlines, but it stuck out to me because I picture this list of people, these demographics, that, this demographic information that she would get from Facebook. That's what she was calling for. That would show exactly who has seen the information that she doesn't want them to see. That's number one. Number two, Jen Psaki admitted while she, was, it, while she was saying, and this was the louder point that she was making that she colludes with, or that the Biden White House colludes with social media, with big tech, she admitted that, she, that they collude with the mainstream media outlets in that very press briefing room. At the very beginning of the video, she says, this should come as no surprise, just as we are in constant contact with you, 
we are also in contact with social media giants, with these big tech platforms. So what, what is that contact that she's in with the mainstream media? Are they feeding the mainstream media lines about the vaccines? Now, this wouldn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise. I know it's not going to surprise you either because we know that this happens. But it is something to hear the White House press secretary admit that. Admit that when they don't like a story on a mainstream media network, they're giving the mainstream media network the information that they want to be made public. The word for that that I was taught is propaganda. It's propaganda when a news organization that purports to be straight news, they purport to be journalists, they purport to be reporters, instead is just a megaphone for the government, parroting what the government wants the people to hear, and without informing their audience that they're compromised by the government, still pretending to be um, pretending to be a neutral free press. So that's number two. And then number three is what I mentioned before. Jen Psaki admitted that the White House keeps lists of people. So first there's the list of people that she wants Facebook to provide to them, the list of people that have seen the disinformation. That's uh, on her wish list from big tech. But she admits that the White House keeps a list of people who post things that the White House doesn't like. That's the video where she said there are about 12 people who post 65% of the, the disinformation content. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that there are 12 people? How do you know what percentage of content they're posting unless you literally have a list in front of you of the names of those people? That's so weird. Can you imagine if your name was on that list? It's, a, it's almost a White House hit list in a sense because they want, it's a hit list for free speech because they want to censor your free speech and they're making a list to specifically target you to do that. So I, I wanna talk just a second about the idea of disinformation because this is, the, the definition of misinformation versus disinformation is I think important. Misinformation is mistaken reporting. It's something that you report that turns out not to be the case, but maybe it was done in good faith. Disinformation is propaganda. Disinformation is intentional falsehoods. That's the technical difference between misinformation and disinformation. Jen Psaki, as you'll notice, often uses, or and her cronies often use um, the word disinformation. Radical leftists use the word dis disinformation. And here's what I would have to say. Both misinformation and disinformation are part of free speech. There's no caveat to the First Amendment that says, well, government cannot abridge your right to free speech unless they consider it to be misinformation or especially if they consider it to be disinformation. It's an unfortunate part of free speech. That's why we call it um, the market of ideas because you bring what you have to say to the market of ideas and, it can, and your idea, what you have to say, competes against other people. So if you're confident that what you're saying is reality, that it's true, that it's right, that it's proper, that it's moral, that it's scientific, then you should have confidence that it'll override misinformation and disinformation. It's only when government or big tech becomes involved and stifles what's good and true and proper and reality that misinformation and disinformation become king. And so th this, is, this is the the part, of course, where I must mention that if you actually want to talk about disinformation, disinformation being propaganda, then let's talk about Facebook and Twitter colluding to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. They wouldn't let that link be posted on their platforms because they said it was a lie. They said it was disinformation, a lie, an intentional lie that was supposed to hurt Joe Biden before the election. It turned out to be true or the Wuhan lab leak theory. 
It's now the predominant theory about the origin of COVID-19, that it leaked from a lab in Wuhan where a scientist was performing gain-of-function experiments on that virus to, to do the exact thing that the virus did, to make it have the capacity to be contracted by a human, not just a bat. So if you actually want to talk about disinformation and big tech collusion, then let's talk about big tech collusion that stifles conservatives right here, stifles truth, stifles reality in order to help the radical leftist agenda. So that's the first thing about disinformation is it's part of free speech. And it only becomes problematic when government or big tech tries to be the arbiter of what is real and what is not, rather than allowing the people to be, uh, the people to discern for themselves what is true and what is not. The second part uh, of the problem here is Jen Psaki's definition of disinformation. And I, this is obviously connected to my previous point because Jen Psaki's definition of disinformation at best is unsettled scientific debate. And of course, we're talking about COVID. So her definition of COVID disinformation at best is unsettled scientific debate um, or debate about political policy, mask mandates, lockdowns, et cetera. At worst, it's outright censorship of science of science, not just opinion, of science, while they propagate anti-science in order to justify their authoritarian policies. So never forget when this word is used, because this is going to be a, a word that the Democrats embrace, disinformation. They're going to say disinformation is intentionally false, and it's not just false, it's not just lying is bad, it's actually dangerous, it kills people. Therefore, it's our moral duty as the government to make sure that you have no right to kill people with your disinformation. So watch out for that word because it's how they're going to justify stifling our freedom of speech. The other part of this admission from Jen Psaki would be the legal argument here that Facebook has admitted, or not Facebook, that the White House has admitted colluding with Facebook and in fact directing Facebook which posts to remove based on what the White House wants people to be hearing. And here's what I would say about this. It seems to me if the White House is flagging disinformation on Facebook for Facebook to censor, doesn't that mean that Facebook itself is acting as an arm of the state, an arm of the government? In which case, wouldn't free speech be constitutionally protected on that platform? This, of course, is the teeth of Donald Trump's uh, lawsuit against the big tech companies for censoring him, for kicking him off the platform. But it seems to me that Jen Psaki admitted this very thing. And I, I don't know what the counter argument would be if Facebook or big tech companies are acting as arms of the state, then of course you have a constitutionally protected right to free speech. So anybody who has uh, a sharper legal mind than mine, please feel free to weigh in on this. I'm interested in the counter argument. I don't see how it's anything other than very cut and dry. It's not even nuanced in this case if Facebook is in fact following the direction of the state and censoring private citizens' speech. So as I mentioned before, Alex Berenson, who is the foremost journalist reporting the unreported truths about uh, COVID and death counts, PCR tests, masks, lockdowns, vaccines, you name it, everything COVID related. The same day that Jen Psaki said all of this, the same week that she was proclaiming from the White House that the White House colludes with Facebook, he was blocked on Twitter for 12 hours. Now, generally when this happens, um, at least it has not ever happened to me, but in my experience, when it has happened to people that I know or people who talk about it publicly, 
If you are blocked, not banned, but blocked from posting from your account, it's typically because of a particular tweet that Twitter notifies you about, and you are typically told if you want to regain access to your account, then you must remove this tweet. Alex Berenson got no such notification. He was just put in Twitter jail for 12 hours with no explanation, and this is why I'm on Locals. This is why conservatives should be on Locals, because we have to hedge our bets if these big tech companies do, in fact, kick us off. It's Alex Berenson described it as a warning shot. He says he's not going to heed it whatsoever. He's not going to self-censor just because Twitter is threatening him um, with, this, with this, I guess, first strike in a sense. But this is why I'm on Locals. You can join me on Locals, lizwheelershow.com slash Locals. Uh, you'll get a lot of exclusive benefits as well. In fact, this week, I interviewed Fred Flights. He's the former chief of staff at the National Security Council. He also served in the CIA for over a decade, and he worked on the House Intelligence Committee. He was a whistleblower for the CIA, in fact. And we talked about Tucker Carlson uh, and the NSA story, that Tucker Carlson made an allegation that he was spied on, that his emails and texts were read by the NSA. And Fred Flights says uh, some extremely interesting things about the origin of such spying in the NSA. You don't want to miss this. And this is just to give you an idea of what's over there. Uh, LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. So public officials are using this idea of an emergency to violate our rights. It's really not more complicated than that. There's really not more nuance than that. And we're seeing this again. It seems like it comes, it's cyclical. It happens. Our rights are violated. Then COVID recedes a little bit and some of the mandates get rescinded and then it cycles through again and we get these mandates, we get these violations of our rights. That's what we're seeing out in Los Angeles County right now. We're seeing it in Las Vegas as well. Los Angeles County has begun to mandate as of this past weekend, I think it was Saturday night, they've mandated masks again, uh, even for vaccinated people at indoor venues. And this, people of Los Angeles, if you are idiotic enough to actually wear masks again, then you deserve the science-denying tyrants that rule over you. Do not comply with this. In fact, good on the LA County Sheriff, who says that his department will not legally enforce this unscientific mask mandate. And the sheriff, by the way, is the one who called it unscientific. So because the sheriff won't enforce this mask mandate, now, that, now you will know for sure that any person wearing a mask in LA County is a sheep. Because sure, it's a mandate, but there's no consequence, there's no repercussion, so do not do it. I repeat, if enough people refuse to wear masks, then government can't enforce it anyway. Aren't we at that point? I would argue that we are. Because all you have to do is look back. Uh, it's funny how 15 days to slow the spread turned into 16 months later, vaccinated people must wear masks. The Cuban people aren't rising up against communism. They just want a COVID vaccine, according to the White House. And the Biden administration is colluding with Facebook to censor people in the name of COVID and disinformation, and it's an emergency killing people. None of this will stop until you refuse to comply. None of it. In the larger picture, this is the tactic of the left. They are trying to conflate words with violence. They are telling you that your words are violence. Meanwhile, they tell Black Lives Matter that their violence is free speech. But this is an important um, concept for conservatives to understand that, no, actually, words can't kill. And if somebody is telling you that your words are actively violence or 
they are, your words are homicide, that's a hallmark of authoritarianism. And it's even more dangerous when the tyrant is a benevolent dictator, if you will. When this tyrant is restricting or infringing on your rights for your own good, quote unquote, for your own good. So Abigail Schreier is an author, and by the way, she's not a conservative. Abigail Schreier is a journalist. She wrote the book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. This book, as the name would suggest, talks about the social contagion of rapid onset gender dysphoria in our nation's young girls. The science is impeccable, the research is impeccable, and the conclusions are very obvious, that this is an ideology that's damaging to our daughters, to young girls in our nation, and that we ought, both scientifically, medically, ethically, and politically, to reject this. We've talked about this book on the show before. I've read the book, it's great. Um, I've talked to Abigail Schreier before, um, interviewed her before, but the point here is that her book is slated to be re-released as a paperback, and her book was recently banned from um, a book organization for, quote, being violent. The book itself, the allegation was the book itself is violent. So this is what happened. The American Booksellers Association is a trade group, and they're dedicated to selling books that, um, they're dedicated to selling books, right? Independent booksellers, that's, that's their thing. That's what, they, that's what they specialize in. And they sent out a paperback copy of Abigail's book um, because of its upcoming release in paperback form. And they had backlash from probably a very vocal minority of the independent booksellers to whom they sent this book, but they caved. They, they just folded. And that would be bad enough. That story would make headlines bad enough, but this is what they said in response. They said, quote, an anti-trans book was included in our July mailing to members. You can't make this part up. This is what they say. This is a serious violent incident that goes against ABA's ends policies, values, and everything we believe and support. It is inexcusable, end quote. A serious violent incident. Sending a book to somebody? Sending a book is violent? Did that book just come to life and jump out of the mailbox? And so maybe, maybe they had, I don't even know. This is, this is so ridiculous. Abigail Schreier responded to this by tweeting. She said, today I got into a conversation with a nurse friend who told me that this week three young women got double mastectomies in her clinic on the same day. The youngest was 15. There are currently 50 young women in the pipeline for this surgery there. And then she hashtagged irreversible damage. Schreier retweeted that tweet and said, but including my book in a box is a quote, violent incident. This is mutilation on young girls' bodies that we are condoning as a society, and yet the violence is a book that liberals don't like. So for the win here, to show, to show how absurd this is, a young woman named Grace who transitioned, she was born a woman, transitioned to a man, and then detransitioned after she realized it's bodily mutilation and it's not treatment for gender dysphoria. She tweeted a photo that I wanna show you because I have to admit this really made me laugh. She said, well, I had to take a look. The book doesn't seem that violent. Oh, no, 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 no. They are coming for conservatives authors though. My friend Michael Knowles had the number one selling book in the country this past week and 
he didn't even make the New York Times bestseller list. He should have been number one. He didn't make the list at all, even though he had the, the number one selling book. So Abigail Schreier has faced uh, this kind of discrimination, this kind of censorship, and she's not even conservative. Her book just counters the gender ideology, the radical gender ideology that's coming from the left. So this is what happens to conservatives, but now, and, and just words, by the way, words are violent. But on the other side of the aisle, when Democrats talk, when Democrats use words that are advocating for violence, let's see what happens. So the Virginia PTA had an incident where one of their members, her name is Michelle Leet, L-E-E-T-E, -E -E, um, she said that anybody, any parent who was critical of critical race theory and basically progressive radical leftist uh, indoctrination in public schools, she said that those critics, she said, let them die. Let them die. That's what this woman educating your children said. Let them die about the parents of these children. She's the vice president of training at the Virginia State PTA. She's the vice president of communications for the Fairfax County PTA. And also, she's the first vice president of the Fairfax County NAACP. So let them die. Those are pretty serious words. Advocating for violence, I would say. Now, does she have a right to say them? Sure. She has freedom of speech, just like anybody else. But the Virginia State PTA, and by the way, PTAs are very much... Um, compromised by teachers unions these days and by radical leftist ideology. And you can tell by the way that they responded, they said that they were going to address the quote, disturbing choice of words used by a board member during a public event. And how are they going to address it? Sensitivity training. They said, quote, we believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. However, we also know words have power. Oh, that's funny. Liberal words have power. Conservative words are violent. Notice that there. However, they said, we know words have power and that it's important to understand the impact of our language. This summer, Virginia PTA board members will participate in sensitivity training to ensure that we remain mindful of our community, end quote. But what about the idea that words are violence? Oh, wait, that only counts for science when it comes to COVID and conservative words, not words from radical leftists calling for violence against conservatives. Got it. So back to the censorship of these words, censorship of conservatives. It's not going to stop on Facebook. It's not going to stop at COVID-19 disinformation. And I say that ironically because most COVID-19 disinformation, or much of it, defined by Jen Psaki is the science of the thing that contradicts the public policy that Joe Biden um, advocates for or supports. So it's not going to stop there. There's a lefty who writes for The Atlantic. Her name is Ann Applebaum. She's now making the argument that it's not just Facebook killing people. Fox kills more people than Facebook. She quotes a headline that says, Biden aims blistering attack at tech companies over vaccine falsehoods and adds her own comment to say, surely Fox poses as big or even bigger problem. My question is, what exactly are you suggesting then? That the government censor Fox? Now, NPR, funded with your tax money and my tax money, actually ran a piece about our friends at The Daily Wire that exemplifies my point. They said, the title of it is Outrage as a Business Model, How Ben Shapiro is Using Facebook to Build an Empire. And this is what they say, and I quote, the articles The Daily Wire publishes don't normally include falsehoods, with some exceptions. And the site said it is committed to truthful, accurate, and ethical reporting. But as Settle, Settle, I guess, is this expert, this 
expert that they're quoting. But as Settle explains, by only covering specific stories that bolster the conservative agenda, such as negative reports about socialist countries and polarizing ones about race and sexuality issues, and only including certain facts, readers still come away from the Daily Wire's content with the impression that Republican politicians can do little wrong and cancel culture is among the nation's greatest threats. They tend to not provide very much context for the information they're providing, Settle said. If you've stripped enough context away, any piece of truth can become a piece of misinformation. Huh, that's interesting. They go, NPR goes on to say, publicly, the site does not purport to be a traditional news source. On its about page, the site declares, the Daily Wire does not claim to be without bias, and goes on to say, we're opinionated, we're noisy, and we're having a good time. This is NPR, get ready for this. This is my favorite line of the whole article. It's not clear, they say, that the millions of people engaging with the site's news stories every month recognize that. The Daily Wire's content looks no different in Facebook's newsfeed than an article from a local newspaper, making it potentially difficult to distinguish between more and less reliable or biased information sources, end quote. Can they be more condescending? Could they be more insulting to your intelligence and my intelligence? We may not be able to tell the difference because we're stupid. So what's the suggestion here? from NPR, that Facebook censors the Daily Wire because they dare to be conservative and they're wildly successful. This is the reality of the thing. It's really terrifying to see how bold the left has become trying to silence conservatives. They will continue unless we stop them, unless we play offense and make sure our right to free speech is protected. This starts, of course, with winning back Congress and winning back the White House. Now, it's very easy, I think, to feel like we're losing a lot of these battles as, um, as we see these stories happen day after day, as we see these assaults on our basic constitutionally protected individual liberties. But I'm here to tell you that we're not always losing. We're not. That's what the news would like to portray. But a lot of times, we win. This is what I'm talking about. Big wins here for conservatives. The Biden administration reverses course on federal grants that would have incentivized action civics in public schools, critical race theory, 1619 project being taught in these schools. This is something I talked about a couple weeks ago, um, this idea of action civics and how it's not what it sounds like. It's a very innocuous name, action civics. That sounds like something you can participate in. That's wholesome. That's good. No, no. Action civics is essentially liberal indoctrination where students get credit in school for essentially engaging in public activism at the behest of their teachers. Oftentimes their teachers are leftists, so the, acti the activism is leftist. This is not good for our taxpayers to incentivize this being taught in public schools. Well, Biden's education secretary, uh, Miguel Cardona, reversed this. He reversed this, uh, this new federal grant for what, what they call the American History and Civics Education Program. He withdrew the requirement that required grantees to incorporate curriculum and instruction based on or similar to the 1619 projects or the works of Ibram X. Kendi, who, by the way, fun fact, has blocked me on Twitter, even though I checked, I did a search of my own Twitter account to check to see if I'd ever mentioned him in any form, whether I'd tagged him or even mentioned his name. I have not even once ever mentioned this man on Twitter, and yet he blocked me. So I think that means he's listening to this podcast because we have talked about him and his racist anti-racist ideology and how damaging it is and how he's a practitioner of critical race theory, even if he denies it. We have talked about that on this show. So thank you for listening, Dr. Kendi. Back to action civics for a second. According to the Federal Register, 
33,967 comments were submitted. Can you believe how many that is? 33,000. Uh, were submitted to these proposed grants. This was submitted to the Department of Education. It's a way that we the people can take part. I don't need to tell you this. I'm sure you're the ones that did it. Uh, submitted these comments to the Department of Education. And the vast majority of these nearly 34,000 comments were against the Biden administration for, um, for trying to incentivize the 1619 Project and Ibram X. Kendi's uh, racialism being taught in American schools. So congratulations. You did this. Because of you, American school children, at least in this tiny little in this tiny little instance, are being protected from being taught that America is fundamentally bad and that uh, and that white people, no matter what your viewpoints, no matter what your history, no matter what you personally have done, are responsible for it and bad. Good work. Okay, that's not all though. The state of California was also forced to backtrack on their woke math curriculum after you sparked backlash against what was deserved to get this backlash. So this woke math curriculum, it, it was math, but it wasn't math because it was, it, this curriculum included environmentalism. What does that have to do with math? Social justice. This curriculum rejected the idea of natural gifts and talents. A math curriculum. They also, this curriculum taught, quote, cultural forces that are taught teachers, I should say, to combat cultural forces that have led to and continue to perpetuate current inequalities. So essentially, Marxism is what they're talking about here. This um, curriculum in the state of California argued that educators, quote, need to work consciously to counter uh, racialized or gendered ideas about mathematics achievement. I have no idea what they even mean by that. It's just inserting race into literal numbers, into math. Get out of here, it's so ridiculous. And like I said, this included things about the environment, about social justice, about socio-political consciousness, problems that result in social inequalities. So they're not gonna teach math, they're just teaching essentially social justice warrior. They're teaching, they're trying to train these kids to be social justice warriors with the goal being Marxism. Um, so because of the backlash, and this was from you, this was the mathematics community actually spoke out against that. This curriculum framework is expected to be postponed for 10 months until May of 2022, this following a board meeting just last Wednesday. Again, you did this. Kudos to you for doing this. Um, that's not all. We don't just have two wins, we have more than that today. The head of um, the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association, you might remember this woman because we talked about um, we talked about all the Catholic churches, the Catholic and Anglican churches that are being burned down in Canada. We talked about that last week, and the head of the BC Civil Liberties Association celebrated the church burnings on Twitter. She tweeted, burn them down, burn them all down. Well, she has resigned from her position. Her name is Harsha Walia. I don't know if you remember, but burn it all down, she tweeted on June 30th in response to uh, these instances of arson. I think the arson I mean, it, it targeted 20, 30 different Catholic churches across the country based on, based on, yes, an unfortunate policy, but not based on the false narrative that's being perpetuated about that, um, that unfortunate policy. She resigned, as she should, because that's, that's, she's no friend of civil liberties if she wants churches to be burned down, religious liberty to be violated, religious people to be victimized because she doesn't agree with um, a policy in history. And then... Those are three wins for today, and we're this close, this close to a fourth win. This close to a fourth win. Um, we talked about this also two weeks ago, and we've made a huge difference. 
Now Mitch McConnell has called for Tracy Stone Manning, that is Joe Biden's nominee for the Bureau of Land Management, to be removed from her nomination. This is the woman who was involved in eco-terrorism. She uh, put the metal spikes in the trees so that when the trees were harvested, the metal spikes would essentially be used as projectiles and would either maim or kill whoever harvested the trees. This is, like I said, eco-terrorism. In addition to that, she lied to the Senate about whether she was ever um, the subject of a federal investigation, which she obviously was for this eco-terrorism. Well, we called for the Senate, not just one or two senators, we called for Republican senators to raise their voices as one and demand that Joe Biden remove this woman's nomination because we don't want a terrorist in charge of our federal government or any agency of our federal government. Now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell um, is doing that. He said, and I quote, we now know that President Biden's nominee to run the Bureau of Land Management lied to the Senate about her alleged participation in eco-terrorism. The White House should immediately withdraw her nomination. End quote. Your action, good people, your action makes a difference in our country. And it's a joy to see. It's a joy to see. And now, I want to um, pivot from a little more serious topics and show you the absolute funniest video that I've seen on the web all weekend. Funniest, funniest thing. Um, I laughed my head off when I watched this. This is author Michael Wolf absolutely excoriating Brian Stelter to his face, to his face. It's delightful to behold. Take a listen. I think the media has done a terrible job on this. I think you yourself, um, you know, while you're a nice guy, you know, you're full of sanctimony. Um, you know, you become part of one of the parts of the problem of the media. You know, you come on here and you and you have a, um, um, uh, you know, a monopoly on truth. You know, you know exactly how things are supposed to be done. Um, you know, you are why one of the reasons people can't stand the media. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're cracking me up. It's your fault. I well, well, figuring out, yeah, figuring out what is real is not so is not so uh, is not so easy, and and right. you know most people don't want to talk, turn to Brian Stelter to tell us what's real. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, then why'd you bother coming on CNN a few times this week? <laughs> you know, I, I'm a I'm, I'm a book salesman. Brian Stelter's face um, should become a meme. I, I mean, in a, in a sense, he handled it. It handled it graciously, but there's just no recovering. There's no recovering from that kind of burn that Michael Wolf laid on him. All right, we have more to talk about as usual, but the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, says that we gotta go. We're out of time. Um, more tomorrow. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought. Reject critical theory. Question authority. Follow the facts and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. And Production Assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.